This week on three, three sides. I knew you were going to do that. I was just thinking that. Go ahead. That was your fault. You put it into my head. I did. This this week on the Music Biz Weekly podcast, we sit down with Garrett from DEMA, the Digital Media Association. Lots of great discussion about the MMA, metadata, contracts, copyrights. It's very useful educational information for all artists, all people in this industry of all levels. Check it out. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this new music. Everybody, business. welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold. And as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert as I'm quickly pulling up my copy that I should always <laughs> Because we do this oh, every it's, week. It's all good. It's all good. Um, Jay, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited for our conversation today with uh, Garrett Levin. Um, Garrett and I had the pleasure of uh, meeting up at Music Biz a couple of weeks ago in Nashville. And what I loved about the conversation is that, I mean, this is kind of one of those big brain guys, works with Congress and works with heavyweights of the DSPs and all that. We didn't talk about that much. We talked about, hey, did you hear that record? What was that song? Did you hear that thing? Were you a fan of this band? And it's, you know, we talk about this all the time. What friends would you and I have if it wasn't for music? You know? Exactly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have the network that we have today. Yep, exactly. So uh, before we get into that, that great discussion, just a quick shout out to Bruce and everybody at Hype Pod and Bands in Town for all you do to support us. And just a quick reminder, be sure you check out and join our community over on the bands and town artist community head over to bands and town musicbizweeklypodcast.com ask your questions leave your comments about this week or any week's episode um lots of discussion and i i bet there's going to be questions about this week's i think interview right. take it over yep. to our artist community we're there other people are there that will chime in and love to start talking about it with you yes, but sir. Thank you so much to our sponsor, discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, and t-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers is the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So we put together a great offer for all of our listeners. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and that promo code is going to save you up to $150 in shipping costs. So, yeah, Jay, this discussion with Garrett and uh, yeah. Dima, Digital Media Association, lots yeah. of great stuff for artists of all levels, managers, Absolutely. anybody in the business. I mean, there's a lot of information that people need to be educated about. Yeah, it's a complex business and it's unlike any other. And I think Garrett understands that and he helps to kind of demystify that and you need to know this stuff. Yep. So let it roll and we'll see you at the end. 
Thousands of musicians and industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship opportunities. Today, we're joined by Garrett Levin. He is the CEO of the Digital Media Association, DEMA. Uh, Garrett, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So much, so much good stuff to talk about, you know, what you're working on. You and I had the pleasure of grabbing a quick lunch at Music Biz a couple of weeks ago in Nashville. I'd love to uh, let our viewers and listeners know about some of that. But before we do, there's a there's still confusion in the music industry, especially for those that are DIY and they're starting out. Can you just at a high level explain the difference between like a musical work and, and a sound recording. I know that sounds really pedantic, but this is a crazy business that we're in. And and it's really unlike a lot of businesses. It really is. And I think one of the things that, that we have seen in the, um, the, the digital music industry is that it is easier than ever to make music and easier than ever to kind of get your music into the, the pipeline and into the system. A lot of people talk about, the democratization of the industry that has been brought by streaming. But I think with that comes um, the fact that like, you can just get in, right? Like today, <laughs> any one of us could, after after we get off this call, like jump on the garage band, record something and upload it. And we and, might. Right. <laughs> and not know the first thing about kind of what the, the rights are, what the works are. And so at a really, really basic level, uh, music Please. copyright covers two different works. There's the musical composition or the musical work or the song, the words, the lyrics, the notes. That's got its own set of rights. It's got its own set of um, payment structures through the PROs like ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, GMR, the relatively new mechanical licensing collective that collects and distributes mechanical royalties. And then once it's recorded, once that written work is recorded, it that creates a separate copyrighted work called a sound recording. Um, and that's got its own set of rights that kind of go along with it, own set of licensing structures, own set of payment structures. Um, one of the things that I spend a lot of my time on in my job is um, thinking about and talking about and advocating around the complexity of that system in large part yeah. because streaming services are really the first distribution platform that we've had in the music industry that crosses every single one of the, both of those works and basically every right you could think of across those works. Any other platform you think about, whether it's radio, whether it's physical product, it's often had like a very narrow set of rights that were implicated. Streaming came along and it was like, oh, wow, this kind of implicates all of it. Um, what are we going to do about that? You know, I, it, it's funny. Thank you. I shouldn't say it's funny. It's, it's, it's actually a bit sad that there's so many musicians and not just beginners, but there's actually, you know, musicians who've been in this for decades and have a dozen albums that I swear still do not understand the difference between those rights. Yeah. It, 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 it's popped up in my newsfeed a couple times in the last six to eight weeks of artists who kind of flipped out when somebody went and licensed one of their old recordings from the record label and is releasing it without the artist's approval, involvement, you know, authorization. And they think 
they should have that. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, clearly fans are confused and don't get all this. But yeah. when an artist who recorded something that was released through a major label 40 years ago, how do you not know? How do you yeah. not know your rights and their rights and how this can be done without your involvement completely legally? Yeah. It's a complicated yeah. business. It's unlike you know any other business. And Garrett, I may have gotten this from you, um, but but a, a comparison or analogy that I like is that it's it's kind of like the blueprint of the house and then the actual house. Mm -hmm. So you've got the publishing, you know, the song. Okay, that's the blueprint. Anybody can record that song and do a different version from that blueprint. But there's only one of that original house, that that master. And that kind of comparison helps some people to wrap their head around it. But you don't see a lot of these types of issues in in other businesses you don't and you don't really see it even in other copyrighted businesses and other businesses based on copyright law the creative industries you know and, and like Mike, you touched on another element of the complexity, which is you add like contracts into it as well, right? Like you've got the rights to begin with and the works to begin with, and then you add the contracts on top of that. And it just keeps like the complexity keeps adding on yeah. to it. You know, yeah. part of it, I think really is about um, how do we, and this is something we've been thinking a lot. And I think we'll probably talk about it, about in the context of, you know, metadata and stuff, but but how do yeah. we educate? How do we reach creators and, and musicians and artists, whether it's at the point that they're just thinking about making something or at that point 40 years into their career about like actually um, uh, educating and teaching about like this complexity. I think, yeah. I think, I wanna be really diplomatic about this, but I think there has been a tendency sometimes in the industry to infantilize creators and kind of say like, don't don't worry about it. Like that's what we're here for. And that we mm -hmm. could is a lot of people, right? Like that's not, like I'm not pointing fingers at any particular place, right. but there is this element. And I, and I used to work in the, the film and television industry. It feels more common in the music industry to kind of, um, Say to the to the artists and the writers, just go do your creative thing. Everything don't, else, yeah. Don't don't worry. We'll handle it. We got your back. We'll make sure you have full approvals and you know what's going on. Yeah. You know, saying that, and again, this isn't specific to the music industry, but people many times will say whatever they need to say to get that deal. Right. What we'll really matters back. are the words again in that contract. That. You can verbally tell somebody, don't worry, you'll have all approvals. And then you sign the contract that says, I give you the right to make all these approvals on my behalf. I do think we're seeing, though, I, it, it, it's absolutely true. I also think that, I mean, this is, this is kind of moving away a little bit from stream, but just in general, I do think that we are seeing a more educated um, and informed creator advocacy class, which is really good. I think the ability I to agree. act information the you know sometimes i mean i think we probably all experience this in every aspect of our life sometimes there's maybe like too much information and how do you filter through and find the reliable information but the information is out there and i i do sense when i talk to songwriters when i talk to artists there's a hunger to understand it and to learn about it and to cut through yeah. and figure it out i'm um, seeing that too uh you know like with the crb and some of these things that maybe used to be 
away from the public eye. I feel like, you know, artists, managers, labels, distributors, they're all starting to understand these things uh, a little bit more. I wanted to ask you, Garrett, for, for those who are kind of new to you and, and Dima, talk about what, what's your day-to-day -day like? And, you know, like for those that don't know, you know, Dima members are, you know, like Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, you know, what, what is kind of your role and your responsibilities? Yeah, so DEMA is a, um, a trade association, which is the, the fancy name for like basically a lobbying group. We're kind of, for those who are familiar with like the RAAA and NMPA, um, we're that for the streaming services. Um, DEMA has actually been around since 1998. It was formed in like the very, very early days of non-interactive streaming um, when there was a lot of uncertainty in the landscape. Now it's primarily focused on, on kind of the, the on-demand streaming space, um, kind of that core business of, of today's digital music industry. And my day-to-day -day is, um, man, it, it is a lot of things. Um, it is kind of all <laughs> things um, streaming, all things today's modern music industry. Spent a lot of time um, talking to the members, learning about what's on their mind, thinking about the you know, innovations that they have going on, thinking about how to tell the story of streaming, whether that's to policymakers in DC, whether that's to reporters in the press. I've spent a lot of my time, so I'm just now starting my fourth year in the job. A lot of what I've done actually is talking to people in the industry and trying to you know, find the spaces of common ground, the areas where um, we, can, we can collaborate and move things forward in, in productive ways because you know, like streaming is streaming is here. Uh, it forms yeah. the kind of core of the business across kind of all all metrics at this point. And I think the 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 battles over the economics and the rates, like those have existed in the industry since well before streaming. They're going to exist when you know twenty years from now when we've got whatever the next cool thing is that people are listening to music on. But if that's all we're talking about, I think we're, we're missing an opportunity to, to bring other advancements, bring other improvements to the industry. So I spent a lot of my time in just like one-on-one -on -one dialogue and even small group dialogue, trying to identify where those places are, trying to identify, you know, one of the, um, one of the advantages that, that, that the streaming services have in these discussions to some degree is that we see it from like, like every, everybody in their silo, everyone talks about silos in the music industry, but everybody in their silo is like kind of focused on the thing in front of them, whether that's publishing or recording or marketing. Um, all of those things at this point in time to turn what I think are usually grain silos into like maybe missile silos for a second. All those silos are now kind of pointed at streaming in a way that they weren't before, but they're not seeing each other. And we get to see all of them because everyone's coming to us and talking about these things. And so some of what I do is just trying to explain what we're hearing from others as well so that, that you know, a group of, of, of artists can understand kind of what it is that, uh, that we're hearing from you know, the publishers, for example, and, and how the challenges exist to figure out how we you know, kind of close that Venn diagram. So all the issues become a little bit more overlapping rather than these you know, individual things of like, well, this is my problem, please fix this, or this is my opportunity, please do this. Um, 
So that that's a lot of what I do. Garrett is is <laughs> a lot. one of the big focus areas that's a challenge, and I, I it sounds like you 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 had mentioned this as being one of them was the economics was you know because ever ever since streaming basically hit mainstream and took off working in there working in this industry i think we can all sit here and go wow it you know streaming is the bad guy the evil flavor the screwing the little guy that's all we seem to be picking up mm. from not just fans, but again, DIY artists, even the mainstream media who doesn't really understand what's going on, but wants to write an article. It's all about how bad the economics are and how terrible it is for the musician. When to your point, these economic issues have been here since the beginning of the industry. They're going to be here 20 years from now, 40 years from now, when streaming has been replaced by thought waves or whatever it is, is, is that one of the biggest concerns of the group now is how to combat basically it's almost like misinformation campaigns that have gotten out of control. Yeah. And, and how to talk about what is a, a, a complicated landscape in ways that, you know, si simplify it, but not oversimplify it. Right. Like, I mean, everyone's heard the the maxim and like, public relations that if you're explaining you're losing but but, right. the, but the reality is is that like music industry economics need to be explained because they are complicated and they're not um it's not self-evident how exactly it works and i think one of the biggest things that is not self-evident is the difference between how it works at scale and how it works for individuals um this is something i've written about recently and, and I think, you know, when, when we look at what streaming has done, it has changed the way um, uh, compensation works in the industry away from physical product, right? Where the industry had to figure out how to get the value of the entire life of the work through one transaction, right? right. And it had to price it for that entire value and the entire product. Um, streaming, setting aside even like how the rate formulas work, right? Streaming boils down to a model that bases compensation entirely on consumption. Um, and it's it, it measures it in a way that is um, really powerful and effective for um, uh, whether it's rights holders or even individual creators who operate at sufficient scale that like consumption adds up in that way. But it is challenging and, and no doubt is challenging for folks who kind of sit at a, a different place in that consumption model. Now, I think the other thing that has done, the flip side of this to some degree is like, it, we walk around with the entire history of recorded music on our phones. Um, in a way that like each one of those plays triggers compensation. That's very different than like when I used to walk around with my iPod and all the compensation had already happened initially. Um, regardless so, if you played it one time or a thousand times. Exactly. And regardless of whether I listened to like the first track or, you know, all the tracks over and over again. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the, the core of the economic issue is understanding this shift from that, you know, one time point of sale, everything's coming there to the rest. But 
the phrase that that people inside Dima got sick of me saying, but I'll say it here because you're not sick of me saying, is that like <laughs> there's this cognitive dissonance between what we see at that you know the billions of dollars of revenue that are going into the industry from streaming subscriptions and the increasingly vocal complaints from individual songwriters and artists, something isn't connecting there. And, and I think it's about more than, it, it, it necessarily has to be about more than streaming services paying more because they've been paying, the pie has been growing year after year after year, as have the yeah. concerns and criticisms. And so I think, what what we need to do is have some honest conversations, kind of cross industry conversations. They can't be about this particular rate or that particular rate or this particular agreement. It has to be the kind of conversation that says, how does this all work? And yeah. is it working in a way that 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 we as an industry think is the 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 right way to do it? And right. and and I think and, you can go ahead. I was gonna say, and and how does it work? in relationship to, and we'll go back to this word, the contract you signed with the company that now has the rights to your music. So as you know, as Jay and I say all the time, um, streaming services don't pay the artist directly. They never have paid the artist directly. They always pay the rights holder who then in turn pays the artist based on the contract you've signed with them. And that might mean you don't get any money. Now, is that is that the streaming services fault? Is that the rights holders fault? Is it the artist's fault for not understanding the contract? But it is a complicated money trail. It's it not is, just one I, person paying a second person. Yeah, I was going to mention that. And at the same time you did that, that's one of the common misconceptions is you'll hear somebody say, well, these streaming services don't pay artists enough. And our response to that is whether you're through DistroKid or through Atlantic Records, there is some other intermediary there and there's a, an agreement in place there. And let's say you're with a major and you're not recouped. Or let's say, you know, there's multiple co-writers. There's all sorts of variations there that you have to take into account on what you get. And I won't even get into, you know, the whole pro rata versus user centric, you know, argument. It's not as simple as people think it is. And the thing that I like to explain to people is, you know, a playlist is not a marketing plan, right? A stream is not worth uh, a CD. A CD is not worth premium vinyl. Right. And so there are different configurations and different values. But getting back to what you said, Garrett, I think this kind of comes back to just educating artists, managers, songwriters, and even some folks at the the label and distribution level, because there is a little bit of confusion there. And that leads me beautifully into a couple of things I wanted to touch on with you, Garrett. Some of the things that you've either been directly involved with or Dima's been involved with, I'd love to get for our listeners, kind of your take on, for example, like in in 2018, the Music Modernization Act was signed into law. Talk a little bit about why that is important. Yeah, happy to. And and let me just like close with one closing thought about the economic thing real quick, which is, I think something that I think about a lot is that streaming as a business model is still actually relatively young. Um, And I think a lot of what we're seeing is an industry maturing into that distribution. Like it's not, it wasn't really an evolutionary change in the same way, like going from 
vinyl to eight track to CD was where it was the same like fundamental model, like kind of just in a new just format. A different config. It's yeah. like, it is a different thing. And I think a lot of uh, the, the industry has been working to evolve with it. And in some of those business practices, whether it's contracts, things like that, they're catching up to it. But I do think those are like vital elements to, to that whole conversation. Um, and I think things like the, the MMA are a, a, a vital part of that conversation as well, because the Music Modernization Act was a, a piece of legislation that came about because there was a recognition that the way we did mechanical licensing, so going back to the like the song side of things, musical composition, the right to reproduce and distribute that, that musical composition, um, it, the licensing didn't work in the streaming um, uh, paradigm because it was a license that had been built into the statute since the early 20th century to be done on like a song by song basis. And you can't, you can't like streaming doesn't work on a song by song licensing basis. It works on a catalog wide. Not when you have, you know, 80 million or whatever, right? right? Exactly. And so um, it was an update to an existing statutory license, the section 115 mechanical license. Uh, and it was focused on streaming and, and creating at the core of it, what it did is it created a uh, moved away from a song by song license to a blanket catalog license. Um, and it created a single collective, the mechanical licensing collective to get the usage reporting from the services to collect the royalties and distribute them out rather than you know, trying to operate a song by song, service by service, publisher by publisher, writer right. by writer system that even just saying those words, I think most people would be like, well, that, that can't work in streaming. Um, so <laughs> right. it, it became law in 2018, did a lot of work uh, to get it ready to get the MLC up and running, get things ready for the transition to the blanket license, which occurred at the beginning of 2021. So we're now just about 18 months into that new um, regime. Uh, there's over 50 services in the US that are using the, the, um, the blanket license and reporting into the MLC on a monthly basis. Royalties are being collected, usage is wow. being reported, royalties are being paid out. I think at the core of it, um, it's it's working. Um, and I think it's presenting opportunities as we go forward over the coming years to bring further improvements, particularly by way of having that single collective at the heart of this. Yeah, um, yeah. In part, because what it does for rights holders is it says, hey, here's where you can come and tell us what you own. We've got your money. You, you yeah, come to yeah. us, you register your works. That's a really great um, incentive structure there. It seems like a lot of progress in a relatively short period of time. Now you talk about the music industry when you talk about piano rolls up until now, there hasn't been a lot of progress on things that have been done the same way for a long time. And now it feels to me, and correct me if you feel differently, it feels like just in the last few years, the a lot of changes are being made, a lot of growth, um, and a lot of progress in a short period of time. I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, you look at the, the Music Modernization Act, and it it passed the U.S. Congress unanimously, which is wow. kind of insane. I used they to can't work... agree on where to go to lunch, let alone <laughs> right. legislation. Um, 
<laughs> and so the idea that you could fundamentally rewrite how a particular set of licenses works in the digital era and do it unanimously with the support of the services, support of publishers, support of labels and songwriters and everybody, I think that speaks a lot to a desire to find those opportunities for, for real win-wins. Um, you know, notably, we are doing all of that and building the MLC and, and working under the MMA. At the same time, we continue to, you know, have disputes about rates at the CRB. But that that goes back to my earlier point. Those, like, it's, it, I, I used to do improv. So, like, there's a cardinal rule in improv of, like, yes, and, right? It's like, yes, we are going to, like, fight about rates. And we are also going to do these other things because the, that first part's always going to be there. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about one of my favorite subjects and that's, that's metadata. Yeah. And I, I think I told you over lunch, you know, one of, one of the frustrating things for me is that in this digital age, I can't go onto my favorite DSP and just do a query on an engineer or a saxophone player or a producer. And yeah, there are some songwriter things that are popping up. It's, is, is it part of your, um, purview this metadata issue how does this problem get solved when you have different distributors with different feeds with different fields going to digital service providers it seems like it's going to take a lot of project management to get everybody on the same page there and 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 to add to that why should a diy artist actually care about this metadata being there and being accurate um, because let's be honest, it's the least sexiest thing about the music is making sure you got invisible metadata that for the most part, most people will never encounter. Right. So it's the last thing they care about. Right. So this is something that we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and, and doing some work on this year and, and going to be doing some more going forward. Um, it's, it's so vitally important. And to take the questions like in reverse order, like the reason you need to care about metadata is because it's the way you get paid. Um, you know, it is, the, it, it is the identification of whose work it is and who's owed money for it. And the further it gets into, the further a piece of music gets into the supply chain without data associated with it, the harder it becomes to fix it. You know, once it's at a DEMA member company, there's precious little that they can do to like, they, they can't verify you know, what, who, who's, who's who and where they, they know who they get it from, right? They know that the distributor that it comes in from, whether it's a tune core or a CD baby or a, a feed from a major label. But if it comes in with a bunch of fields empty, where do they go to start getting yeah. those, those fields populated? So um, they rely on the rights holders and the information they're provided, right? Yeah. And the rights holders in turn, you know, if you think about it, you know, we were talking at the beginning about the, the difference in the rights and stuff. I also think there's just like a, a real um, need to better educate around like the steps in the supply chain, right? Like, cause even, you know, when it, when it gets to the, the distributor, when it gets to the, the uh, CD baby, the tune core, the label, if it doesn't have the writer information and it was written you know, two years ago in a session somewhere, you know, nobody even knew about, 
who who can go figure that out at that point in time? Right. Like, well, how can you actually right. get it in there? Um, so one of the things that Dima has been working on, and we're, we were working, it's a it's an initiative that was launched by the Ivor's Academy in the UK and the Music Rights Awareness Foundation, which is a nonprofit that um, Bjorn Olveus and Max Martin uh, in Sweden formed. Um, wow. And it, it's this initiative called Credit to Do, and its entire focus is about educating creators about the importance of standard identifiers. The good news, let me just like emphasize a really good piece of news, which is the ability to do this is there in that like the, the industry has developed through things like DDEX, through the PROs, standard identification codes, right? There's, co there's standard codes for sound recording, standard codes for musical work, standard codes right. for individual contributors to works, whether they're producers, engineers, writers, those are available, um, but not everybody is aware they're available. Not everybody understands how to get them. They're not always the easiest and most seamless thing to get at the time you want to get them. And so a lot of the work that I think the industry should be focusing on is how do we reach the people at the point where it is most vital for them to provide their data to the, to, the, to the work and have it go with it all the way through the process. Because that is, I mean, that's the name of the game, right? Like it, right. If, if we are trying to back into it later, we're already kind of right. I mean, this, this, this has been metadata at its core level. I just encountered it earlier this morning you know, somebody sent me a bunch of MP3s for the new album. They want me to check it out, maybe do some work with them. I dump it into iTunes. There's yeah. no metadata. Yeah. Not, not even the most basic data, not songwriters, not publishing. Artist name, album name, year it was released. And, you know, I've, I've been experiencing that ever since I started working in the music industry online. Right. I, I, I feel like, is this a problem that we're never going to solve? If we can't get people to even care about the basics of, you know, when you get that MP3 and you're going to send it out to a booking agent, you got to put your name in the metadata. So when it pops up in their iTunes or their whatever music player, they know who they're listening to. If they can't do that, are they actually going to take care of songwriters and all the other important stuff? Uh, it's a hard question, right? I mean, I'd, I I would like to believe that that we should not just well, I do believe that we should not just throw up our hands and say we just kind of have to accept this. I think, from my perspective, the goal is to minimize it as much as possible, right? There are always going to be outliers in sure. any industry. There's always <laughs> going to be people who um, don't approach it with the same level of rigor as others. And, but I, I, I would hope that we get to a point where that is so rare and so, um, uh, um, so much the outlier compared to what the, the core is doing that it's even easier than it is now to identify them and like see if they have any interest in doing it. I, I will say that one of the things that we've heard from from creators in, in working on credits too and talking to creators is there is a, there's a balance between 
um, having people be thinking about data at the point of creation, but having it be as easy and seamless as possible to do what they need to do, to have the tools that they need. So it do, it becomes second nature to them to include it. I, uh, I, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think you nailed it right there because inevitably, whenever I tell a small indie label or an artist, hey, I need you to make sure your metadata is right. The first question is, how do I do that? Yeah. how do what app do i use where do i go it's almost like now granted we know you can go get countless free apps for your iphone and ipad you can use itunes to do this but maybe the industry almost itself needs to maybe dima needs to create the metadata app this is the win all major app that will cover all of this and every artist recording studio, whatever, it's free. Use this. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that kind of thing makes a lot of sense. I think that the, the we, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact, though, that um, there are pockets of the industry where data is still viewed as a um, almost a competitive advantage, right? And a thing that is held onto and not relinquished. And I think we need to, to make sure that as we're we're going forward that we are pushing against some of that and, and some of that is coming up Fair in the conversations yeah. making sure that it's not just a question of like this is the way to do it but like even if this is the way to do it that you can actually do it that way if if that yeah. makes sense and i think look I, yeah. I think we you know jay you were at music biz like there was a it was the 11th metadata summit and i think what what you're seeing now in the metadata discussions is a lot of this conversation, which is what's the tool to, to fix it. I said on a panel that I was on that that I want to make sure that we're also focusing not just on tools that address the symptoms of the problem, but also tools and conversations that go back to the, the root cause of it and ideally prevent us from you know, kind of minimize the amount of people who are getting sick in the first place, um, rather gotcha. than having to treat the symptoms going forward. And yeah, I, I, I was, I was going to say real quick, it, not, not that you want to put blame on everything, but you're right. You want to go right back to the source of all this. And maybe it's like, how do you make sure, you know, the studio or garage panned doesn't let any music get exported and released out of their system without all the metadata being in it. And I think, I think those kinds of questions, like we, we, on this panel that I was on, we were talking about, I asked the question about like, I think there's a, a bit of a nervousness to talk about things like that in part because it can sound like, to refer back to the earlier point, we're, we're taking what has become a democratized, lowered barrier to entry industry and we're, we're reinstalling gatekeepers. Um, and one of my, one of my, panelist, uh, Graham Davies, the, the guy who runs the Ivor's Academy, he's like, we're not talking about gatekeepers, we're talking about gates, right? Like, it's not that somebody's saying, no, you can't come in. It's about just like minimum things that need to be- To move to the next step, you have to have all yeah, this I created. I think that's fair. But we have to make it easy, right? And yes, that's, 100%. That's the balance. And and I yeah. think, Jay, to, 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 to like, to, I didn't want to ignore your part about it, about the like kind of how do we get to a point where you can search by engineer and producer, like we get to that point by by having that data reliably in there in the reliable first Reliable metadata. Right? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Garrett, we could talk to you all day. Before we wrap up, I wanted to talk to you just for a moment about 
what you've been doing with some of the conversations with black members of Congress, their experiences with music. Can you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about that? I thought that was really fantastic. Yeah, so um, June is uh, Black Music Month. um, And last year we launched this program where we have uh, black executives at the streaming services sit down and do Zoom interviews with black members of Congress. And it's it's not about policy, it's not about politics, it's not about like streaming. Literally they just talk about music, black music and their experiences with black music. And then talk a little bit also about um, kind of the, the executives often ask the members of Congress for advice about like thinking about leadership and, you know, uh, kind of politics broadly, not anything like it politically. Yeah, of course. Are these available publicly? Totally available publicly. They're on our website, which is uh, www.dema.org. We're posting the new ones for this year. They're not up on the website. We're posting them as they're, as they're available on our Twitter, which is Digital Media USA. Um, and they're nice. fun. They're, they're, I've spent a lot of time around members of Congress. These are some of the most relaxed and engaging conversations you will ever see. Oh, I bet. Because they've got yeah. nothing to pitch. They're just talking about music. It's a little bit easy. Like the they're yeah. passionate yeah. about it. Who doesn't love talking about music, right? Who doesn't love exactly. thinking about the first like great music moment that they had? And so, you know, it's um, it. I, a, a lot of what we've been thinking about recently, unrelated to any of the policy stuff, is like being being kind of stewards of the fact that you do have the access access to the entire history of recorded music on your phone and helping people learn a little bit more about that. We've got, we've commissioned um, some blogs from uh, black music scholars as well, ethnomusicologists. We've got one going up, I think this week on uh, Mississippi Hill blues. Um, she wrote, she kind of like d- dive like right into that deep genre put together a playlist for us that'll be up on the website as well and very cool i love doing that kind of fun stuff because as you learned about me jay when we were in nashville like i am a huge music nerd like in yeah. addition to like this stuff i, I, I told love- mike about that before we started this conversation i said you're gonna dig this guy he's a music geek like we are and look <laughs> we could talk for hours i mean outside of dema and dsps and crb and you know music modernization act that stuff's all interesting and everything but None of that stuff would even be around if it wasn't for the music. Exactly. And if we can't, like, we, we all have to recognize that. We all have to start from that point. And, and that's certainly where we're starting from, which is like, it's, it, it is ultimately all about that music. So where can people learn more about you, Garrett, about Dima, about all of these great initiatives you're working on? Where, can, where should people go to dig in? Uh, people should go to our website, which is www.dema.org. You can check us out on Twitter, which is, I need to, I always need to look this up. It's at Digital <laughs> USA. It's all right. You want to get it right. Um, and you can always hit me up on Twitter at Garrett Levin. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, our, our email addresses are on the website. I, I, cool. I am always happy to talk to any and all people, particularly I know you're, this podcast reaches a lot of DIY artists, a lot of people who are yep. trying to learn about the, the, the business and learn about the industry. We're always happy to talk to anyone and everyone and kind of have those conversations about what it looks like and, and what yep. the future is. And, we appreciate and just, just, just to be real, no so, so everybody's clear, DIMA is D-I-M-A dot org. So you don't think you're going to DMA.org, which I think is Dallas Museum of Arts and the EMA, which is somebody else. You want to go to DIMA.org. 
Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I say it so often. I say DIMA so often. And then people are like, well, of course, what actually is that? But thank you. Yeah. D-I-M-A. Yeah. Garrett, Garrett, again, always a pleasure, you. man. This Hope was awesome. see you again soon. Anytime, guys. Thank you. you. Bet. Take care, Garrett. Right. Visit discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a $150 value. Always uh, a good conversation with uh, fine folks at DIMA. D-I-M-A dot org. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And as you dig in a little bit, you'll find that they're working on a lot of really cool initiatives. And really, you know, they're kind of this representative group of the digital service providers. And sometimes the digital service providers, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, sometimes they get kind of this bad rap. Well, we're not getting, you know, we're not getting paid enough or, you know. They don't care about the artists, whatever. Yeah, we have to dispel some of those myths because, frankly, a lot of them, you know, they're they're based on ignorance. You know, like we talk about during the interview, you know, the the rights holders get paid, not the artist. When you're with one of these DSPs and your deal with that particular rights holder is key to how much money you're going to make. But, you know, there's a lot of innovations that are going on. And I, I like the fact that you you can read about them on Dima's site. You can educate yourself. You can find out about the Music Modernization Act, Mechanical Licensing Collective, all of these things you may hear about in the press. They have lots of materials there so you can educate yourself on on what's going on. Yeah, I think that we, we've said this so many times over the years. Educating yourself is so important. Don't don't believe what the fans are posting online. Don't believe what USA Today posts in an article or the Washington Post. And, 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 and I'm not saying that those those media outlets don't do their research. I'm just saying there there's clearly um, an agenda to strike fear into people that gets people talking when the reality yep. is they do care about the artists. Yeah, they are paying money is being made. Let's be clear. Sure is. Yeah. The streaming world is making millions of dollars a day. Now it's going to the rights holders. And and that's the point where you need to educate yourself and go, yeah, all right. What what's why is it not trickling down from the rights holders? Let's follow this. Yeah. And 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 and, and as as we brought up. This has been an issue in the music industry since the dawn of the industries. Sadly, artists are always the last in that feed. Yeah. Game. I feel it's getting there's it's getting, more it's getting conversation better. now. It's I more feel transparent. It's, gonna, it's heading down that path. Absolutely. Yeah, the, you know, the transparency helps a lot, but music business is a complicated business. Lots of rights. Uh, Lot, lots of people it with complicated with fingers in the pie, taking percentages. Yeah. You need to understand how that's all working. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, let's let's go discuss this further over on our artist community over on Bands in Town. Head over to bandsintown.musicbizweeklypodcast.com. We post all of our episodes over there and we've got ongoing discussions. Um, let's Let's answer your questions because I guarantee you our listeners have questions even after this of like, okay, what, how do I do metadata? Where do I see this? Let's talk about that over there. Um, And of course, big shout out to Bruce Hypebot bands in town. Thank you so much for everything you do. And of course, to our sponsor disc makers, 
com. If you've got a service or a product that uh, you want to get in front of our our listeners, our viewers, reach out to Jay or myself. We'd be happy to talk to you about sponsorship. Sure would. Uh, that's it. Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We'll see everybody next week. Visit musicbizweeklypodcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. For Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.